Yeah. Okay, so it is my awesome privilege to welcome my very good friend Heinrich and Nikki. Will you come stand, stand, Nikki, come stand here with us. Now you have friends, then you have good friends, and then you have them. <laughs> and uh, they are an amazing couple, Heinrich and Nikki, they're the pastors there at uh, uh, Shofar Somerset West, and uh, they also were Pretoria, and then they were in Joburg, and now they're going to be in Somerset West for the next 30 years. Proclamation of faith. In Jesus' name. And uh, they're an amazing, amazing couple, and uh, they love God so much. And Heinrich and me, we work together, we're in the office together, we have wept together many times, and uh, prayed together, yes. And uh, it's just awesome to not walk alone in life, you know. And so I just want to just pray a blessing over them and, and uh, receive them. Father, we thank you for this amazing couple. Thank you, Lord, for the impact they are making on, on so many lives. Thank you for their hearts that's for you and for relationships and for people, to see people flourish. And so, God, we receive them this morning and we release your blessing over them in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Let's put our hands together for them. Thank you so much, Andre. And Sonica, thank you for the wonderful opportunity that, uh, that we have to be with you this morning. And we already had an incredible evening last night, just that uh, the wedding celebration. It was just amazing to be there and to share the evening with so many other incredible couples. And it's uh, wonderful for me to have my wife traveling with me as well. And Nikki this year started joining me in the ministry as well. And it's something that I've been praying for for a long time. And it's amazing to have her by my side. And uh, always just to come here to show for East London and to be inspired. I always come here and I'm inspired. I'm, I'm provoked in my heart to trust the Lord for more because every time I come here, there are more people, things have changed. There's always new things happening. God is moving in your midst. And as a congregation, I believe God has given you the gift of just um, imparting hope into the body of Christ, uh, into your community and into the body of Christ all around you. So I want to thank you for being an awesome a group of people and supporting Pastor Andre and, and, and uh, Pastor Sonica, and just really loving them and making their, their yoke uh, a lot easier. And uh, Andre was sharing about, about Southernhood, and I was just thinking, you know, um, it's so important for us to expose ourselves. And I want to agree with him. If you can go there at all, please go. Just expose your heart to what the Lord is doing there. Um, a few weeks ago, myself, my wife, and our family, and, and two other families went to Springbok. And I don't know if any of you guys know where Springbok is. But um, does anybody know Springbok out there? Yes, a few people know. Does anybody know where Gaddis is? That's where I grew up for a few years. I lived in Gaddis. And um, so it was, it was fantastic going to Springbok and taking a mission team there. And, you know, we're from Somerset West. And uh, Somerset West is a, it's a little bit like a bubble together with Stellenbosch. It's an incredible place. It's a beautiful place. The mountains and the sea. And it's just like an awesome place to be. Most people from other parts of the world, of South Africa, they work very hard in other places to go and buy property there in, in Somerset West. So property is ridiculously expensive. Everything is... Uh, in any case, so we, we have a wonderful congregation there with a, a lot of very affluent people who love the Lord Jesus dearly. But we've just been speaking to one another about why did God bless us? Why have we been privileged to grow up in the homes that we grew up in? Why do we have the degrees that we have? Why do we have the resources that we have? And obviously, we, we came to the incredible conclusion, revelation... That it's all to glorify God, which is 
quite simple, actually. But everything we have is to glorify God. Um, and so we just took a few people to Springbok, and it was amazing to be there. We've got a shofar congregation in Springbok as well. People who love the Lord Jesus dearly. We're always just so passionate, and they worship the Lord. And so we spent a few days with them. And it was amazing just to see their passion for the Lord. And I think that's what Andre can testify to as well, that, that when you are amongst people who have a very little physically, there's an incredible desperation for God, but also a joy for the blessings that God gives us. And so we were spending time with these people, and it's just amazing to get to know them. And, and then you begin to get to know their stories. And the more you listen to them, the more you're like, how do you do this? <laughs> how do you just remain so joyful and so thankful and If I didn't know about what's going on in your life, I would never have guessed it. That's the amount of trauma that you're going through. And I think the the gospel of Lord Jesus Christ does that to us. It gives us hope. But I believe that uh, poorer communities have a lot to add to us as believers who have a little bit more. We need them. James says that they are rich in faith. And so it's not so much that we go to them to just go and bless them. We actually go there to be blessed as well. We go there to get a new perspective on what is really important in life. What are the things that really matter? And so one of the things that, that I came away with there, and I was going to share this at the beginning, I wanted to share it at the end, but I just feel the Holy Spirit is leading me to share this now, was just the, the power of the gospel. You know that within those circumstances, religion just doesn't do it. Just having a nice sermon, just talking about nice stuff, it just doesn't do it. You need the gospel to survive. You need the gospel actually to flourish relationally. And towards the end, we had the session of financial workshop, and we were doing this workshop And then the Lord started just leading the whole discussion into the area of forgiveness. And he said that before his people can really embrace the prosperity that he has for them, he wants their hearts. He really wants to empower them to walk in a level of forgiveness they haven't known before. And so the Holy Spirit started ministering to them. And and, uh, it's very much the same situation as Andre described. You know, there's this one lady, an older lady, she, she came up to the front and she said she just feels in her heart that the Lord is leading her to forgive someone. And she's raising her, I think it's her three grandchildren now. And she's looking after her two daughters. They're in their, in their 20s. But they're complete drug addicts. Addicted to tuck. Absolutely and completely just almost in a vegetable state. Can't do anything for themselves. She's living on, an, on, on, on a pension. She's having to look after these two um, grown-up women, these three little girls. And what happened to her life was, many years ago, a drug dealer introduced the two girls to drugs while they were still at high school. And ever since high school, they've been addicted. and just destroyed her life completely. But the Lord spoke into her heart and said, you need to forgive that man. So she comes up to the front and she says, Lord Jesus, I, I just want to forgive. And she mentioned the guy by name. I just want to forgive him for introducing my girls to drugs. And I'm like, that is power. You talk about power, that is power. That is the power to, to release forgiveness over someone else who literally destroyed your life. Not just once, but over and over again. You having to live with these consequences. And I realize that there's a, a depth of power that God wants the body of Christ to, to tap into on a relational level. You know, and, and, and Andre and I, we speak about this often. The physical miracles that God does, they are amazing. And this morning, even God is going to come and do some physical miracles here. He's going to heal some people. He's going to set some people free from physical ailments and and bondages in your life. But those physical healings are simply a precursor to the, the, I don't want to say deeper things, but those things that are sometimes a lot more difficult for us to deal with. Those relational things. 
those things that have hurt you so much that you know there is no way that you can physically, humanly speaking, do this. There's no way you can forgive this person. There's no way you can give them another chance. There's no way you can believe that things can get better unless God comes and He does something supernatural in your life. So I've got this expectation in my heart that the Lord is wanting to release supernatural faith over your hearts. He wants to release a supernatural ability over your life to forgive, to walk in a power of forgiveness. You know, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, these were his last words that he spoke over the human race. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And I believe that when we walk in forgiveness, we are most like Christ. When we walk in forgiveness, we are the closest to to the nature of God that we can possibly be. Father, forgive them. And I know that for some of us, as we're in this room, there are relational challenges, maybe in our marriages, maybe between us and our our children, us and our parents, our grandparents, whatever that might be. And I believe that God is wanting to come in and set a whole bunch of us free to change not just our lives, not just our marriages, but the communities around us. So I want to pray for us before we, we get into the sermon. Father, thank you so much that we can be here this, this morning, God. Thank you that we could have worshipped together. Thank you that we could have once again just lifted our eyes to you. And God, have you just come and touch our hearts and stir hope and stir faith in our hearts. Lord, thank you for everyone that is here this morning. And I know no one is here by accident. No one is here by mistake. You have handpicked us to be here. And I pray, Lord, that as we have already prayed at intercession before the service, that your will will be done this morning. That your kingdom will come in our lives. Lord, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that you are here. I thank you, Lord, for the, for the wonderful pastors that you have raised up for this church and under and Sonica. I thank you for their love for your people, their passion for your people, their passion for the body of Christ and for a dying world. And thank you for, for this congregation that you have given them. Thank you for a group of people who are willing to follow you wherever you lead them. And this morning, I pray for the courage, Father, for us to go there. The courage for us to go deep into our own hearts, to go into areas maybe where we haven't gone before. To trust you, Holy Spirit, to, to lead us to the exact place where you want us to be. Where we can meet with you and encounter you in a new and a special way. In Jesus' name, amen. So Andres asked me this morning to speak to you a little bit about, about marriage. And, and I know that many of you guys are married. Some of you are not married. And I want to agree with him, irrespective of where you are in your relational walk, God has got a word for you this morning. All right? and, and I don't know how long you guys have been married. Andre and Sonica have been married 15 years, in, and we celebrated that last night, and together with a whole bunch of other couples who are in different phases of their marriages. I know some of you here have been married maybe 20 years, 30 years. Anybody longer than 20 years married here in the house? Hey, awesome, you legends. Closer to 30 years maybe? Anybody 30 years? Are there 30 years? 30 years. 28. Wow. That's amazing. Well done. Give them a round of applause. That's amazing. That's incredible. Praise the Lord. Praise God. I think it's going to lay hands on all of us at the end. But, um, you know, irrespective of where you are in your journey towards marriage, whether you, you've been married three years, three months, whether you're on your way to being married, whether you have been married, irrespective of that each one of us, we are on different journeys different phases of our expectation even concerning marriage. Some of us in this room, we might be you know, in that phase where Nick and I were when we were in marriage prep. You listen to all of the stuff they teach you in marriage preparation, you know, conflict resolution and all of those things, and you think like, no, 
That's not for us. It's for the other people. You know, the other people struggling with conflict resolution, the other people who have issues. God has given us a special love. You know, and, and our love is unique, and we will never go through that. You know, uh, maybe some of you are there, and the Lord bless you. Keep on believing that. Let it be to you according to your faith. Some of us might be here, and, 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 and maybe we're in a, in, a, in a second relationship, and we're having to trust God to, to break with some of the, the memories from the past or some of the things that want to re, reoccur, but, but we're excited about another opportunity God has given us at love. Maybe some of us here have given up completely, that you will ever meet someone who will love you unconditionally. Maybe some of you in this room are here and you know God has called you to live a life of singleness committed to Him. And that is the calling God has given you and you are content with that. Each one of us in a, in a different place, a different journey. You know, for, for myself in terms of marriage and my family, just, just being married hasn't always been the done, the done deal. I, I come from, a, from a, a, a mixture of different backgrounds. You know, I'm good and properly mixed. Um, now I've got some Dutch blood in me. I've got some German blood in me. I've got some Khoisan blood in me. I've got some Afrikaner blood in me. I've got some Malay slave blood in me. So, so I can flow wherever I need to flow. It's amazing. It's the way the Lord has wired me. And, uh, so I appreciate that about my, about my background and, uh, and about my culture. But it was in, in our family, family line, you know, the, the institution of marriage was, is something that existed in our family line um, in different, different levels. Uh, my dad grew up in an environment where there was a lot of um, promiscuity, a lot of sexual abuse, a lot of things that happened along with that. And through the grace of God, I could grow up in a family where I didn't have any of that based upon the decisions my dad made, based upon the fact that he surrendered his life to the Lord. And he said, this nonsense is going to stop. I'm not going to impart any of this to my kids. Even though I grew up in a very small home and I saw a lot of abuse, a lot of sexual and physical stuff and a lot of alcohol abuse. So now my dad, he said, it's going to stop. By the power of the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, my sons, my daughters, he hoped for a daughter, didn't get a daughter, but he, he's got two beautiful daughters-in-law now and uh, two beautiful grand, granddaughters as well. He made a decision that impacted my life radically. The fact that I'm standing here today, the fact that I'm married fact that I'm excited about marriage didn't start with me. It wasn't because I all of a sudden woke up one day and thought, hey, getting married is a good idea and it's a beautiful thing. No, it started because I saw it modeled to me, to someone or by someone who had to discover for himself what that meant because he never saw that. And so I just want to encourage some of you, some of you are going to set things into motion this morning. You're going to make quality decisions that's going to impact not just your own life, but your children's life. And your grandchildren's lives because of the decision you are making today. But even beyond my father, many, many years ago, my, my grandmother's mom, she was a, a freed slave um, from Malaysia. Right? And for those of you guys who know our history in South Africa, slavery was officially declared illegal in 1832 thanks to William Wilberforce. I thank God for a man like that who fought for the freedom of, of the slaves. And it was declared illegal. And it was only from 1832 when my great-grandmother was she was in the 30s, when for the first time, slaves could get married, right? So before that time, when you were put together, male and female, within the context of slavery, the female belonged to the slave owner. And so if he decided he could get a better price for her, he would sell her to whomever he wanted to sell her. And the man who was her man didn't have any claim to her life. The man didn't have any claim upon his children either. 
The children and the females belonged to the slave owner. So he could give them to whomever he wanted to, and he could give the children away to whomever he wanted to as well. All right? And so it was only after the abolition of slavery that for the first time, slaves were allowed to get married. And so my, my great-grandmother, she was set free as a slave. And then this Afrikaner woman outside Beaufort West right, fell in love with her. They called him Roy Jan, Red John. Um, and he fell in love with her, and he married her, and got disowned. Right? Got kicked off the farm and lost the farm and everything because he fell in love with a slave girl. But they started, in, in that part of my legacy, from my mom's side, started a legacy of an appreciation for marriage. And I thank God for the fact that today there is something precious and special in my life because it was not the norm. For a long time in my ancestors' life, there was not the norm. And they didn't know what it meant to, to, to be able to live faithfully to someone. Even though you wanted to, there were things that were against you. And I thank God for a nation in which marriage still to a certain extent is protected, even though it's being eroded as well. I thank God that, that there's a legacy that is being built up. I'm sharing that with you because I know that all of us come from different perspectives, different backgrounds, different legacies in terms of what has been given to you, in terms of your expectation and your perspective and your picture of what a marriage is or what a marriage could be. All of us have got different pictures, different stories. But I want to go beyond the 170 years of where marriage came from in one part of my family. I want to go back right to the beginning, because I believe it's important for us, whenever we have the conversation concerning marriage, to acknowledge that irrespective of your legacy in the natural, irrespective of what has been given to you, ultimately marriage didn't start with us. The idea of marriage didn't start with a man falling in love with a woman and thinking about what's the best way to do this. It didn't start with us. And it's important for us just to to revisit that moment again. And so, In Genesis 1, I want to read this very popular verse, or verse that we all know very well. God spoke. I love that. Two two words. It's such a powerful sentence. God spoke. And uh, we said this last night, that before God does anything, He speaks, doesn't He? He speaks His word. That's why it's so powerful that when we come together in the morning like this, and we open up our hearts for the word of God, God can come and He can set things in motion in your life as you receive the word. Because the word has got creative power. And so God comes and he, and he speaks, and it says there in, in Genesis 1.26, God spoke, let us make human beings in our image. Let's make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. And verse 27, and God created human beings. He created them God-like, reflecting God's nature. And he created them male and female. So the idea of putting two different human beings together, human beings that looked differently physically and that were different emotionally, the idea of putting them together didn't start with man. It started with God. And the standard, the standard for any marriage is not even the marriage that has lasted 30 years. It's not under Sonica's amazing marriage. It's not my marriage. It's not your neighbor's marriage. That is not the standard to which you need to to gauge and measure your marriage. The standard is God's original ideal. What was God's original plan? And and God's original plan was simply this. He created us to be His image bearers, to, to reflect Him. And He says, let us make human beings in our image, 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God exists in perfect community, doesn't he? There's perfect submission within the Godhead. There's perfect authority. There's perfect unity between them. And God says, I want to create human beings to reflect that unity, to reflect that mutual love, that mutual submission. And so that when, when, when creation would look at a marriage and a man and a woman, they would see something of me there. They would look at a marriage and they would see how, how these two people are living in mutual submission to one another. And they, would, and they would see how God the Father honors God the Son. And God the Son honors God the Father and, and gives room and scope for God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit deflects all glory back again to God the Father and God the Son. Where there's no competition between the two of them. Where it's not, this is mine and that is yours, but this is ours. And when there's a need, then God the Son says, I will go, Daddy. I will go and fix it. I will go. And God the Father says to you, my son, I will give a name above every other name. And Jesus says, look, it's better. I know this was awesome, me being with you. But it's better for you guys that I go away so the Holy Spirit can come. Someone more awesome than me is coming, Jesus said. He says, it's better for you. I'm thinking like, what could be better than having Jesus with you? And he's saying, no, 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 no. There's someone more amazing coming. The Holy Spirit is better for you. I'm thinking, isn't that an awesome picture of what a marriage is supposed to be? So like, no, you should meet my wife. She's amazing. She's incredible. And, and I love to see her be glorious and be appreciated and be loved and honored. And she lives to see the same for me. That's the standard that God has set. Perfect submission, perfect unity, no competition, no judgment, acceptance, space to be give one another. And so Jesus created in us this, this longing. We have been created to be in community, because God is in community with himself. God didn't create us so that he can have community with us so much. It's not as if God was lonely. Up in heaven, he's lonely, he's bored, and then he decides, let me make human beings so that I can have relationship with him. God already was having relationship. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All sufficient, wonderful, glorious, beautiful relationship. But he creates us so that we can be part of what he already has. He creates us so that we can be a part of, of the glorious unity and the glorious joy that they are already experiencing. And that's the same for us as parents, isn't it? We don't have children so that, we can, so that we can all of a sudden be complete now. We don't put our expectations for happiness upon our children. We don't put our expectation for, for joy upon our children. If we do do that, we put a lot of pressure on them. And we actually put something on them that they cannot carry. We, we, we trust God for life to flow out of us so that they can be part of who we are already. So they can, so they can share that, they can enjoy that. And out of that, a beautiful, glorious testimony can flow. So in each one of your heart and my heart, I've discovered over the years, because there's this need inside of us to be in community, to be connected, like God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is connected. Because of this need, I've come across many people in my counseling sessions, and mostly the questions are like a few of those questions that I've put down there for you. Whom can I depend on? Each, each one in our hearts has this deep desire, this deep longing to know that when the cookie crumbles in my life, that when, when I do that thing that finally pushes everyone away, there will be someone that I can still depend on. And when I'm all alone, left with my fears, left with my sin, left with my disappointments, left with my nightmares, there's someone that I know will always be there. 
All of us have a desire also, not just to depend on others, but also to have others depend on us. The way God created us, to know that I'm, that I'm needed. Someone can depend on me. Someone can count on me. I believe that many of us within relational context, even in a room like this, sometimes go home and we ask ourselves this question, who am I when no one else is watching? Who am I when the lights fade? Who am I when the music stops? Who am I when the applause isn't there? And the beauty of marriage is that there is someone that knows you outside of all the public applause. There's someone that knows you when, when uh, the toothpaste hasn't been used yet and the socks haven't been picked up yet and in the middle of the night and the kids are screaming. There's someone that knows you when nobody else is cheering you on. And that's the beauty of marriage, a, a vulnerability in that knowledge. There's a, there's a question I believe that's deep down inside of each of our hearts and that is, how do other people see me? How do they really view me? Am I, am I important to other people? Do they see me as successful? Do they see me as valuable? Do they, do they see me as someone who's significant? And a marriage gives us the opportunity to have someone really, really see us. Not see the mask. You know, even in a group like this, you know, on a Sunday morning like this, we sometimes become experts with the mask, eh? the Christian mask, the, the blessed mask. How are you doing? I'm blessed. I'm the head and not the tail. And powerful confessions that we need to make, but very often we pretend we keep people at arm's length. Marriage is dangerous in the sense that it strips you of your masks. It strips all of those pretenses away. And you can, you can pretend only up to a certain point. And then marriage forces you to go deeper. And that's very often where many of us withdraw because I just cannot go deep enough. So then I work harder, I exercise harder, maybe I preach longer sermons or whatever I need to do just to stay away from that one relationship that gets me to the place where someone truly, truly sees me. Sees past all my stuff, sees my heart. I've often been asked this question, you know, just when people are honest enough, Pastor, I'm in this relationship and still I feel so lonely. Or I'm in this group and yet I feel as if no one really knows me. A marriage gives us a place where you can be seen and you can be known. The Bible talks about, about sexual intercourse. It's a word used in the, in the Hebrew and says, Adam knew Eve. And just means the he knew her in a sexual, intimate way, but it goes beyond that. It speaks about the closest two human beings can be together. Marriage gives us that opportunity to be known in that way. For those of us who have been created to really connect with someone, I think many of us have asked this question from time to time. Why do I feel so disconnected? Why do I feel as if I'm just not connecting? And that's a word that is often being used by people in relational stress. It's, I just don't feel connected anymore. Uh, we're just not connecting anymore. And, and the world knows this. And so the world has created for us many different platforms, hasn't it? To do what? To connect with one another, isn't it? We meet someone and say, let's connect quickly on Facebook. Let's connect via this, this app and let's connect via that app. And God, if, if I can just summarize the purpose of marriage, it is to reflect the godly connection that God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has with one another. And to invite us to connect with Him and with one another in the way that He's connecting with Himself. God has called us to connect on a deep and intimate level. And everything else the devil throws at you, every assault on your marriage, on your relationship, is simply aimed towards severing the connection. If it can get you to walk away from the connection with God in the first place, with your spouse secondly, then it becomes a, a work relationship, 
It becomes a partnership. It becomes maybe something you do for the kids. But that connection is missing. That intimate connection is missing. I believe that is what the Lord is wanting to restore this morning. So connection is at the core of who we are. What does it mean to be connected and to have the desire to be connected? It means that we, we need others and we want to be needed as well. It means that we trust others and we are trusted. It means that we love others and we are being loved. It means we respect others. We're being respected. That's at the core of what it means to be connected. Needing others and to be needed as well. Respecting others and to be respected. Loving others and to be loved. And I want to put in there as well, forgiving others and to be forgiven. So here's what Paul says, Ephesians 5, 31 verse 32. We all know this very well. He just highlights for us this, 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 this standard. The standard that you have to gauge and measure your marriage to. He says, for this reason, if you want to talk about marriage purpose. For this reason, there are many reasons, and they're all good reasons. But this is the main reason. He says, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother, not to escape from the desperate situation at home. Not to, make, not to, not to complete him. You know the songs that we sing? You can make me whole again. I think it was a song like that. I won't sing it. I know Andre sings from the pulpit. I won't dare go there. I don't have that anointing yet. But often we get into marriage to fulfill deep longings in our hearts. Longings that God has been created to fill. Or that God wants to fill rather. And we put a godly desire upon another human being. But God says this is the reason. A man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. They will come together. The two shall become one flesh in, in every aspect. And he says, this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so, and so he says, marriage has been designed to reflect. If, if you are still unsure about what God's heart is towards you. Don't start with the Old Testament. Old Testament is amazing. It's powerful. It's God's word. But if you want to see a clear reflection of what God's heart is, go and read the Gospels. It's unambiguous. It is clear. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. Jesus went about healing, saving, delivering, setting people free, loving people, forgiving them. All right? and, so, and so Paul raises the bar here and he says, Heinrich, for you, this is the reason why your marriage is important. This is the purpose for your marriage. And so in every, like Nick and I always say, or now I say it, she doesn't say it, we don't have arguments, we have discussions. Right? So, in, so in every discussion that my wife and I have, I have to come back to this. Am I loving her? Am I dealing with her the way Christ is dealing with me? That is the standard. That's the only question that I have to answer. Am I speaking to her the way Christ would speak to me? Am I honoring her? Am I respecting her? Am I loving her? Am I putting her first the way that Christ deals with me? And so the reality is this, that it is, it is impossible to have a truly godly marriage unless our vertical relationship with God is open. And I found that as soon as my relationship with the Word strays, my relationship with the Holy Spirit takes strain, it inevitably filters through to my relationship with my wife. Inevitably. And I believe God is wanting to come and so wanting to open up the channel again in our hearts. And many of us are fighting on the horizontal level. We are fighting the issues. We are fighting the, the seeming incompatibilities. We are fighting whose turn it is to take out the garbage or whose turn it is to, to pick up the kids from school or who forgot this or who forgot that or who's the last one who said sorry or not. It's all on the horizontal level, all on the issue level. 
And God says, come back, deal with the vertical. Come back and get my perspective on you and how I feel about you. And in the light of how I feel about you, go back to your spouse. In the light of how I deal with you, when you make a mistake. In the light of how I deal with you, when you are at your weakest. In the light of that, go back and deal with your spouse. And I don't know about you, but I sometimes hate that. (laughs) I sometimes don't like that because I want to feel, you know, just for a while, I want to feel, I have a right to feel, you know, a right to sulk, a right to walk away for a bit, a right to, and Jesus didn't stick to his rights when he had to decide whether to die for us or not. He gave up his right to be with his father. He gave up his right to be up in heaven. And he came down and entered into our world. So that's the standard. God wants us to love one another the way Christ loves the church. For us as men, specifically. He wants us to, to honor our wives in that way. And he wants wives to, to submit to, to their husbands the way that the church has been called to submit to Christ. I don't know about you, but that's pretty intimidating. I mean, that, is a, that is a very high, very high standard. And I, I felt this morning just to encourage you. Say that God is wanting to take you to the next level. He is wanting to elevate your relationships to the next level of purity, submission, honor, respect, trust, forgiveness. He's wanting to raise the bar. He's wanting to raise up a standard in this community of what godly marriages can be like. So when people look at us, they literally get an invitation to draw closer to God. Because they just sense there's something godlike about you. It's something God-like about the way you deal with one another and with your kids. And it's often not so much in what you say, but it's sometimes in what you don't say. I don't know, when was the last time you were around the bride with people who don't know the Lord and who are married? And you just listen to their conversations and, and they can quickly pick up that you are on a different plane simply because there are just some things you don't say about your wife. There are just some jokes you, you just don't make. There are just some things that you don't participate in. Why? Because you've got a different spirit. And I believe that it's so easy that if we were to enter into this world and look at our marriages as as an outreach opportunity, look at our marriages as an invitation to extend to other people and say to other people, come closer. We want to invite you into a relationship with God and you can get a taste of who He is through our lives. Now again, I don't know about you, but that intimidates me even as I'm saying that. Because I know how imperfect I am. I know how far short I fall of the standard God sets for me. But I also know that God has called me not to settle, just to compromise. To just settle for what was good last year. To just settle for the wedding pictures that was awesome 13 years ago. And then to say, oh, that was a beautiful day. And from there on, it was all downhill. (laughs) Now I'm simply surviving. No way. No way. That was the beginning of a journey that gets more and more incredible as we surrender more and more to God. He takes us deeper. Thinking today about, you know, 13 years ago when I said I love my wife, I had no clue what it meant. <laughs> I had no clue about what it would require of me. And now when I say I love her, it's on a deeper level. That was amazing, but this is even more amazing, even more awesome. Because God's desire is to take us from glory to glory, faith to faith. His desire isn't for our, for our lives to slowly just fade away. No way. Not as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not to get to the place where the kids leave the house and now suddenly our marriages fall apart because we simply live through the kids. No. God has called us to pursue a purpose together, to love Him together, to love one another together, and to go out in a blaze of glory 
as couples that leave behind the legacy. Having said that, I know what the reality is, and I'm going to move away from the ideal very quickly. I believe the Lord is just wanting to, to meet us where we're at. Isaiah 54 verse 10. All right, God is speaking and he says, For the mountains shall depart and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from you, nor shall my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord, who has mercy on you. And so here when we think of marriage, I think of this, God's covenant. This is the power of covenant. And God says, even though mountains would be removed, even though your budget will crash, even though the car might catch a light, even though you'll be kicked out of your house, even though you have to move to a different continent, or even though your calling might change, even though everything changes around you, my covenant of peace will not change. I'm as committed to your marriage today than I was the day when you set eyes on that girl and you said, yes, I do. I'm as committed. My covenant of peace will not be removed. And for me, that is my, the basis of my confidence in my relationship with my wife. It is this, not my ability to ask for forgiveness, not my ability to repent, not my ability to make things better, not even her ability. My confidence is in God's covenant of peace with us. God is for our marriage. God is for our marriage. God is for our marriage. God wants our marriages to flourish, not just to survive. God wants our marriages to be filled with overflowing life. Other people can drink from that. And so God is extending towards you and towards me this morning. Hope, his covenant of peace is with you. Irrespective of the war, the mud rage in your marriage right now, irrespective of the failures, irrespective of the mistakes, irrespective of the no-go areas in your heart or in your mind, God says, many things might have changed. Many more things will change. My covenant of peace will not change. Will not be removed from you. It will remain the same. It will remain constant. Find your confidence and your trust, not in your own ability. It's one of the, the greatest shocks to my system was to find out how imperfect I am. Sounds funny, I know. But I, initially, I thought I could do this. <laughs> initially, I thought I could do this. I could love this woman the way that I should. And then I discovered I can't. It was fine until that point when I could, but when I couldn't anymore, I actually realized there's more. There's a deeper dimension where I surrender to God. And He comes and He takes me to the next level. God's covenant of peace, His power is available for us, not just to lay hands on people and see them sick, healed, not just to see demons driven out of them, not just to see poverty broken over them, but to see marriages flourish. It is a priority for God. There is an anointing. There is an anointing for marriages to flourish. And some of you this morning, you need to come and walk away from your own efforts because you've been trying to do this in your own strength. And you need to come and you need to receive like my dad. He had no frame of reference of what it means to live in a beautiful, godly, mutually respecting marriage. He had to discover it all for himself without books and television and all of those things. The Holy Spirit anointed him, taught him, brought people across his path that could speak into his life. Yes, but there was an anointing. He said, Jesus, teach me what it means. Teach me what it means. And he's still my hero. I want to be like him. I want to treat my wife the way that he treats my mom. I said, God, how did that happen? A young boy surrendered his life to the Lord and said, Jesus, my life is going to be different. Soon after he's made that commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ, an older man dragged him into the vineyards where he lived on the farm and raped him. Sodomized him. 
destroyed his life. And yet there was a flame that nothing could extinguish. Nothing could extinguish the flame of hope that was in his heart. I didn't even know about that until a few years ago when, when he shared that with me. I'm like, how is that possible, Dad? How could you be this loving man, always there for us as kids, always so gentle, unoffendable? And this happened to you because he had an encounter with the power of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ that came and stood between him and everything the devil aimed at him. And I'm here today and I can love my wife and I can love my girls because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not because I'm amazing, because I'm not, but because something has been given to me. An expectation that God is faithful. doesn't matter whether you're farm laborer's son as my dad was, the power of the gospel changes lives. Takes you to the next level. And God can do it for each one of us. I know that there's no perfect person in this room. I know the church exists for imperfect people. We should probably just have a sign up outside saying no perfect people allowed. <laughs> because there's no such thing. All right? David, in Psalm 51, man after God's own heart. David shared this. David had a terrible episode in his life, in his marriage. Destroyed his marriage. Raped a woman, killed her husband. It was almost nine months later that a prophet had to come to him. Longer than nine months later, after the baby was born. Confront him with his sin. And only then, can you imagine, eh? rapes this woman, kills his best friend, her husband. And only after the prophet confronts him, he realizes, hey, I've slipped. But when he realizes it, he turns to God just like that. Doesn't matter how long it has taken you to come to this place. Doesn't matter how long it has taken you to discover I cannot do this. It doesn't matter how long it has taken you to discover I was wrong. What is important now is what do you do now that you know? What do you do now that you know I need God's grace? I need His mercy. David writes this beautiful psalm. It is a powerful psalm of repentance. Psalm 51 verse 15. And he says, O Lord, open my lips and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, He will not despise. And I felt in my heart that the Lord this morning, I was wrestling with this word right throughout the night, doesn't want to give you a whole bunch of principles. He's after our hearts. Because if He has your heart, and if your heart is pliable and malleable and soft in His hands, it will be soft towards your spouse as well. Because otherwise, any principle can just become another stick that you you beat the other person over the head with, or that you beat yourself up with. The spirit of religion does that. But God says, I'm after your heart. And what kind of heart? A broken one. A soft one. One that says, God, I can't do this. I need you to come and do it on my behalf. And then to see him come into your marriage like a flood. To see him come into your relationship with your kids like a flood. To take you where only he can take you. All of us in this room, Andre mentioned it at the beginning, carry with us a certain element of brokenness. And I believe God wants to speak into that. So I looked up the word broken. And I just want to read this through with you. All right? It's an adjective. And it means to be forcibly separated into two or more pieces. Your life was whole at one stage and then something happened and it was broken. Fractured, like a broken arm or broken piece of glass. Where once you had something beautiful, it dropped. It's now just the pieces. It's lying everywhere. Maybe you have a hope. 
Maybe of a relationship, maybe of a dream, maybe of a purity, maybe of a passion that my life can be different. It once was whole and now it is broken. Broken is used in the context of divorce where there's separation or desertion of a parent or parents where we use it to say that children come from a broken home or there's a broken marriage. Something, it's an ideal, but something beautiful, but it now has been broken. It can also be used to speak about trust that has been violated where we as, as young kids uh, girls or boys or maybe even as older people have trusted someone and the person you trusted the most hurt you the most you allowed them to come close to you and they hurt you stabbed you in the back stole your purity abused you misused you spoke badly about you and you made a vow in that moment i will never ever allow anyone to get that close to me again to, to be broken also speaks of of something that's incomplete it speaks of of something like a, a, a broken set of books. You once had your Fritz Dielmann booker, your thousand books all together, and now there's something missing. You once had it all together. You once had all the dreams, all the plans of where you would go, where you would raise your kids, how you would treat one another, and now all of a sudden, most of it is still there, but there's just this one or two missing pieces. You just can't put your finger on it. There's something that's broken. To be broken can also mean to be in a state of disarray, disordered. When God has called you, maybe and you, you knew this at one stage, He's called you, He's, he's given you a purpose together, but now every time the devil comes against you, there's the vision and you flee. The devil just runs over you like a wave that pummels a surfer at the bottom of the ocean. To be broken can also speak about broken communication. Where you speak one language and your spouse, the other person speaks a completely different language. The communication has been broken down. You might as well be speaking in tongues to one another without the Holy Spirit. Broken also can refer to a broken spirit where you have been just squashed in your hope. So you're nothing more than a doormat for somebody else's abuse or somebody else's opinion, someone else's thoughts. You don't stand up, you don't have boundaries, you don't say no. That is wrong. I will not allow that. Don't do that to me. That is enough. Boundaries that have been broken down. We can use the word broken to speak about someone who has been crushed by grief, having a broken heart, being financially broken or not functioning. Varying degrees, all of us can relate to one or more of those in our lives. The question is not, are you broken? The question is, what do you do with your brokenness? Because I know there's a great healer who delights in not just putting broken things back together, but making them new. Today we gather on a Sunday, which is Resurrection Sunday. Makes life better than what it was. God isn't into taking super glue and putting those pieces back together again. He's into making things new. That's the kind of God that we serve. And so if you carry a brokenness in your heart, maybe you read that in something in your heart went, oh, or ah. Uh. How dare he? If I'd known this, I wouldn't have come. That's a good sign that the Holy Spirit is saying, today is your day. It's your moment. I don't want you to carry that with you. I don't, I don't want that brokenness inside of you. Because you know what happens? When we're broken, I lost my phone a while ago. It fell on the ground. The car drove over it. The screen was broken. But it was a Samsung, so I got it replaced for free. But in any case, but you know what? When the screen is so broken... I slid my finger over it. It, it. it actually cut my finger. It was that broken. When we're broken, you know whom we hurt? Those who come the closest to us. 
Those who dare to come so close that they can actually touch us. Our brokenness hurt them the most. And God wants to come and He wants to create inside of our homes safe places. Where our brokenness is healed to Christ and His blood comes, covers that. Comes between us and our hurts. So let me read this last two verses for you in. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And he saves such as have a contrite spirit. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. And this morning, my heart simply is to say to you, doesn't matter where you are at, in your relationship, in your legacy, God is close to you. He wants you to be open. He wants you to be honest about it so that he can come in and he can heal it. Some of us are ignoring things. We think it's small. Ask your spouse whether it's really that small. You know it's not that small. Some of you are struggling with things and you feel it's too big. It's not too small and it's not too big for the grace of God to come into your life. I believe that God is wanting to touch your eyes this morning for you to see what He can do with broken things, broken marriages, broken relationships.